Good morning, everyone. I don't know about you, but I love stories where we hear about someone has their life completely changed when they come into a relationship with God. As you look around you in this auditorium, there's probably many ordinary people next to you who've had extraordinary stories of how their life has been changed. And there's a myriad of them in the Bible, too. Today, we're going to be looking at one of the characters who had their life completely turned around. Uh, she's in the Old Testament. Her name is Rahab. And as you'll see through today's study, we'll see that not only did she have her life completely turned around, but she was saved by faith too. So I'm going to set the scene. The text we're going to be looking at today is Joshua chapter 2. So the uh, exodus has happened. The Israelites have fleed from Egypt. God has helped them on their way. And they've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And the mantle of leadership has been handed from Moses over to Joshua. It's 1406 BC now. And Joshua and the Israelites are on the edge of the promised land. They're about to take Canaan. Specifically, they're going to look at taking the capital, which is Jericho. And so we pick up the text now. Joshua is about to take Jericho and he's sending out a reconnaissance party, a couple of spies to check out the land which they're about to take. Before I read chapter 2, I'm just going to pray that God would speak to us today. Father God, thank you that you are a God who loves us. Thank you that you change lives dramatically. Thank you that you're a God with whom we start off with so little, but end up with so much more. Lord, will you speak to our heads, our hearts, and help us to apply what we learn today, as we learn about Rahab, and how you worked in her life, and as we also learn about your character through this story too. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Thank you. If you open up your Bibles in Joshua, that's one of the first books in the Old Testament. Alternatively, you can open up your Bible apps now. Follow along with me. Joshua chapter 2. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gates were shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. 
We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, Go to the hills, so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now the men said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless, when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family, into your house. If any of them go outside your house, into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days, until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. The first bits I'm going to look at as we study this text together is what we learn about Rahab from Joshua 2. Clue is actually in her name. So we're given her name in verse 1. Ra was the Egyptian god of the sun as one of the most powerful gods in Egypt. So even at birth, she had been dedicated to an Egyptian god. We also uh, find out that she's a prostitute. It seems a, an unfair thing to write about someone in a history book. However, the fact that she was a prostitute, the fact that she had a very uh, difficult and probably immoral past is of importance, as we will see how God overlooked that and still made a, a tremendous change in her life. She found out she's dedicated to the god Ra. We find out she was a prostitute. She also owned a house. Some historians say that she was actually an innkeeper. It's probably both a, a prostitute and an innkeeper. We also find out from the text that the house that she owns is on one of the walls of Jericho, uh, up high on the rooftops as well. We learn that she's probably an entrepreneur. She's definitely got her wits about her. She's also making extra money from drying flax upon her roof. So we learn that she's dedicated to the god Ra. She's a prostitute. She owns a house. Not soon after into the story, we also find out that she's 
a question by the king of Jericho. And she lies back to him. In fact, it's not just lying. What she's doing is she's committing treason. So I'll read these verses to you and you'll see how she is dishonest. So it says, verse 4, But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the men came to me. Okay, that's true. But I did not know where they had come from. That's a lie. Verse 5, At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, is another lie, they left. Not true. Uh, I don't know which way they went. Again, not true. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. Another lie. Uh, what she had done is she had hidden them on the roof. And so the men went off in pursuit uh, of the spies, where she then made a pact with the spies. So we learn that she is willing to lie and commit treason. Why on earth would someone be willing to do that? We find out more of her motive just a little bit further on as she first starts speaking to the spies. Let's pick it up at verse 10. She's speaking about how the people of Jericho have heard what God has done. So verse 10 she says, We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. And here is the motive for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Rather than lying or committing treason, it's probably more helpful to view what Rahab is as doing is she is choosing the Israelite God, Yahweh, as the true God. So the stories of God's powerful works through the Israelites and how they've been uh, delivered from Egypt has reached other neighboring countries. And the people that hear this become very, very frightened. But rather than just be paralyzed by fear, the text says melting in fear. Rahab is very, very frightened. And yet at the same time, we're aware that she acknowledges that God is the true God. It's not just another God who's powerful. She knows that God is the one true God. And the appropriate response to that is to choose him. It's to say no to your past. It's to say no to all the idols you've been worshipping. And to say yes to Yahweh. So it's certainly, uh, it's actually wise if God is a true God to commit treason. It's very wise not to choose the God, sorry, not to choose the uh, king of Jericho, not to choose any of the Egyptian gods, not even to choose Ra, who she was dedicated to at birth, but to choose Yahweh. Now, theologians uh, on one of two sides is relations to whether she's lying or not. Some people will say, yes, she's specifically telling lies. And no matter the circumstance, that is an immoral, a morally wrong thing to do. Uh, what she should have done is told the truth and trusted in God. And he himself, in a miraculous way, would have hidden the spies. And the other camp to which I belong says, no, in the context of war, you do not have to be fully transparent. And this is a context of war. The Israelites are about to invade Jericho. The king of Jericho knows this. And in the context of war, 
She is picking the side of Yahweh and so is choosing not to tell the truth. Think of it this way. Uh, several hundred years ago, if Viking invaders were invading Britain, uh, as they are pillaging the land, you can watch this on the history series, uh, history channel, lots of different shows in relation to this. As they're invading the land, it is not dishonest for armies that they are facing to try and trick them by different maneuvers. For example, uh, an English king may gather his troops to face the Viking invaders. They may have it planned that only half of the troop will run towards the Vikings. Halfway through a certain period of the battle, they'll give the signal and look like they're all retreating. Now, the plan might be that the Vikings would follow them. And then the other plan would be that the rest of the army, who weren't uh, visible to start with, will come round to the back of the Viking army. And so suddenly, the Vikings are trapped in the middle. And that's how they would win the battle. Now, they might be Christians and they're fighting against uh, the pagans. It's not that they are bad Christians, that they pretend that they are retreating and that they uh, then use a shrewd maneuver to attack the Vikings. It's the context of war. It is not appropriate to say, hey, I'm part of this retreating group, but you need to know I'm a Christian and so I can't lie. We're pretending to retreat. And you'll watch us run and then we'll suddenly stop and then our other friends are going to come round the back. I don't want to lie. Uh, and so this is what I'm telling you. Now, that's ridiculous. So in the context of war, in a very few contexts, it's actually acceptable uh, to not to tell the truth. Another one that we might see more day-to-day uh, -day would be in sports, for example. Someone might throw a dummy play and then throw the ball in a different direction, uh, whether it's basketball, uh, baseball, whatever. Uh, it's perfectly okay not to be 100% transparent in that competitive nature. So context of war is fine. So I don't think... Uh, she is being immoral. I think her past was certainly immoral. But I think she's being wise in choosing God and choosing to protect the spies. The other things that we learn from her, not just that she was uh, choosing God and willing to commit treason. You also find out later on that she is concerned for her family. So she knows that Yahweh is the one true God. She doesn't just want to choose him herself. She wants her family to be saved by him too, physically and then later on spiritually. So verses 12 to 13, we see that a covenant is struck up with the spies. Verse 12, she says, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you'll show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you'll spare the lives of my mother and father, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and that you'll save us from death. She has a great concern for her family. She doesn't want to just choose God herself. She wants her family to be saved. The other thing we learn about Rahab is she's really shrewd. Verse 16, she coaches the spies as to what to do. She says, go and hide yourselves in the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide there for three days and then go on your way. And we find out later on at the end of chapter to that that's exactly what happened. So she's shrewd, she's choosing Yahweh, she's willing to commit treason, she also wants her family to be saved. 
The final thing we learn about Rahab from chapter 2 that I want to draw to your attention is that she obeys. So she makes a covenant with the Israelites and she trusts God enough to obey them. And she obeys them by not just sending them out, but she ties the scarlet cord in the window. Okay, so initially we've looked at what we learn about Rahab from the text, but whenever we study the Bible, it's also really important to think, okay, what do I learn about God from this text? We learn as Rahab is describing why she's willing to commit treason, uh, we find out that God is faithful. He's kept his promises to Abraham. He is going to lead the Israelites into the promised land. We also hear, verse 11, that he's very, very powerful. We hear about the Exodus, how the Red Sea was parted, how he's defeated uh, the Amorite kings who are powerful enemies, and that he invokes fear into people. Clearly, he's even invoked fear into the king of Jericho. So he's faithful, he's powerful. And in verse 11, uh, we also hear this truth from Rahab. It says, The Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Find out from this text that Rahab, although dedicated the Egyptian God of the sun, she acknowledges that God is the one true God. She has seen what he has done to the Israelites in Egypt and being led out of Egypt. And she knows that he is the true God. Something else that we're going to learn from this text I'd just like to draw your attention to is that God is a God who likes to go toe-to-toe with idols. Have you ever wondered why they were to attack Jericho first? Jericho was the biggest city in Canaan. And so God wanted to go toe-to-toe with what is actually called the moon city. So Jericho was where uh, the moon god was meant to live. God, Yahweh, has defeated the sun god uh, in the plagues of Egypt. I'll go over that in just a moment or two. And now he's going toe-to-toe with the most powerful city in Canaan where he's challenging the moon god. And so revered in uh, Jericho was the moon god that it's called the moon city. And so God is willing to go toe-to-toe with his enemies. Back in England, I grew up uh, playing rugby a lot. And one of the things the coaches would say to us was, as this game of rugby starts, the first tackle you make is the most important. Hit them hard and go for the biggest person. They always say, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And so you'd, you'd go for that. What they didn't tell me was, if you hit them hard, they'll spend the rest of the game trying to hit you back. And yes, the bigger they are, the harder they fall, the more it also hurts you. But God is a God who is willing to go toe-to-toe with idols to show that he is the real God. We're going to find out that he does this uh, in Jericho, specifically in the land of Canaan. Now, we also found this from the Exodus, and Rahab describes it a little in that she has heard of the powerful things that God has done. God is willing to go toe-to-toe with idols because he loves people he is jealous for people he does not like it when his people who have infinite value his creation have infinite worth accept alternatives that are inferior 
And have you ever wondered, as we look at the plagues in Egypt, why there were such unusual plagues? Why did water turn to blood? Why the frogs? It's a very strange uh, series of plagues, but if you look a little bit more at the culture at the time, a bit more about the um, God system in Egypt, it becomes clear that God likes to go toe-to-toe with idols and false gods, not just to squash those idols and false gods, but to reveal he is the one true God. And whenever there's the opportunity where we realize that Yahweh is the one true God, yes, that invokes fear, as we realize we've been living our life against him. But at the same time, there's always an opportunity to trust in him. And at the end, uh, after all of the Egyptian gods have been uh, smited or ridiculed in the plagues in Egypt, Exodus 12, verse 38, we hear that other people joined the Israelites in the Exodus. Often that's overlooked for some reason. So I'll go into Exodus 12 if you follow through that with me. Uh, Verse 38. And here it is, it says, Many other people went up with them, as in the Israelites, and also large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. So in chapter 12, it's explaining how uh, the Israelites leave Egypt, but it also shows that other Egyptians joined them. So they realized that God was the one true God, that he had defeated their Egyptian gods through the plagues, and he gives them that invitation to join them. That's critical for what we see with Rahab doing herself as well. She was dedicated to Ra. Ra was the sun god. We know that God ridiculed Ra when he created a plague of three days of darkness. So you're pretty much sure that daytime follows night. That's a given. So Ra was in a pretty safe place where, oh, look how powerful he is. He's giving us daytime every day. By making there be three days of darkness, Moses was showing that Yahweh, who had met him at the burning bush, was the one true God, and that Ra was nothing. Just the same as the the plague of hail uh, represented that Nut, the Egyptian goddess of the sky, was nothing compared to Yahweh. The swarm of flies, which was a plague, represented that Kepri, who was an Egyptian god that had a head of a fly, was nothing compared to Yahweh. When frogs erupted from the Nile, God was revealing that Heket, the Egyptian god who had a head of a frog, had no control over what Yahweh wanted to do. And Happy, who was the Egyptian god of the Nile, which was famous for its fertility, when God turned that water to blood and revealing to Pharaoh that he was the one true God, he is mocking the fact that Happy, the god of the Nile, has no control over him. And the last of the plagues, just before we see uh, the Israelites released, is in relation to the death of the firstborn. Now, I've always had a struggle with why this was necessary. But within the context of God proving that other gods are not real, uh, it's a bit easier to understand. It's not completely easy to understand, but we know that God wants to reveal he's the one true God because he is jealous for his creation. He wants to draw them back to him. And his purpose with the death of the firstborn was to also draw people back to him. And we know that it worked through Exodus 12, 38. 
So of all of the Egyptian gods, the biggest god, the ultimate power of Egypt was Pharaoh. And so he was going to pass that power, that godlike status, onto his firstborn son. So when uh, the firstborns were killed uh, by the angel of death through the Passover, God was revealing that Pharaoh is no god. It will end badly if you put your life and faith and trust in him. He was calling people back to him. So we learn that God is faithful. We learn that he is powerful. We learn that he likes to go toe-to-toe with false gods so people can be drawn back to him. And we see that as well from how Rahab, she now wants to choose Yahweh. She doesn't want to choose the moon god. She doesn't want to... Uh, choose Ra, who she was dedicated to. And finally, the story's not over yet. Uh, We find out in uh, Joshua chapter 6 that God uh, followed through with his promises, that Rahab was spared, that her family was spared, that the scarlet robe uh, meant that her family were protected. The story is not over yet, though. So not only in Joshua 6 do we hear that Rahab was protected, We then hear of Rahab again in the New Testament, in three places, in fact. So from Joshua 2, we've learnt about Rahab. We've also learnt about Yahweh. In Matthew 1, we learn that with God, no matter who we are, no matter what our past is, we end up with so much more than we could have ever hoped for. So Rahab just wanted to be physically saved herself. She was growing up dedicated to Ra, the sun god. She had no moral guidance. Prostitution was not considered immoral in Canaan. There are many temple prostitutes as well. If you looked at her upbringing, you'd say there was absolutely no hope for her. But she has heard of Yahweh. She has heard of how Uh, God is the real God and she has opened her heart up to him opened up her heart to the possibility of choosing him over her previous life and we pick up about Rahab again she's mentioned in a genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 so Matthew chapter 1 verse 5 I'll read this for you it says Salmon the father of Boaz whose mother was Rahab Uh, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Salmon was one of the two spies. So we know that not only did she give them safe passage, but she was obviously uh, transformed into uh, what would be considered a moral person by Jewish standards, that Salmon was able to marry her. And from her line came King David. No, this is a selective genealogy. It's not an exhaustive one. It was very important to include Rahab in there. So this is someone that had no hope, no moral guidance, and yet uh, from her line, she had the great honor that King David came from her line. Carry on into verse 16. This genealogy continues, a selective genealogy. Verse 16, it says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. See how Rahab had a very uh, dishonorable upbringing. It seemed like an upbringing with no hope, but her heart was open to turning towards God. 
And not only did he give her a divine inheritance, but he gave her part of a divine lineage as well. That her past did not stop God's plans for her. God is willing to change her life. He's willing to change our lives if we turn to him. A couple of other areas where Rahab is mentioned. Uh, one is in Hebrews and the second time is in James. And James was written by the brother of Jesus. I'm just going to go to her in Hebrews. Hebrews 11, in fact. Hebrews 11 is known as the Hall of Faith. And 23 times before we get to the Rahab of a mention of Rahab in verse 31 of chapter 11, it said, by faith. Another way to describe faith will be by trust. So by trust in God. We trust in God who he is, that he's the God of heaven above and earth below. And we trust in his character. Verse 31, it says this. By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Again, it mentions that Rahab was a prostitute doesn't mention that in the genealogy of Jesus, but most people would have known that she was a prostitute. But here it mentions that she's a prostitute again. This isn't a disservice to her. It meant it's there because it shows that this was who she used to be. But now she is in the hall of faith. It was by trust in God that she welcomed the spies. That's considered... Uh, a virtue she was not killed with those who were disobedient and again it's mentioned in james let's turn to that now if you will follow with me james 2 verse 22 through to verse 26 says this you see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did this is in relation to abraham verse 23 and the scriptures fulfilled that says abraham believed god and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? It continues to say in the context of James, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So it wasn't just enough to believe that Yahweh was the one true God. We act on that. And Rahab acted on it. And it was credited to her as righteousness. She trusted in God that he was who he said he was. Now, again, uh, Rahab is mentioned as a prostitute. It is not to do her a disservice, but it is to say no matter what your past, how immoral it may be considered uh, by God and by others, it does not stop you from being able to trust God, to be able to put your faith in him. Uh, what I would like to just explain now, uh, Rahab was saved by faith as Abraham was. Uh, there's no actual account of it other than she's in the genealogy of the Messiah. Uh, when it mentions uh, what she did by faith, its actions in both Hebrews and James, there's no actual uh, it doesn't actually say specifically when she put her faith and trust to surrender her life to Jesus that made her of marriageable standard to salmon that allowed her to be in the divine lineage. 
but we will we know the fact that she's in the divine lineage the fact that she's uh, mentioned that her faith looked like actions and it was credited to her as righteousness that she had a saving faith in god so rahab was saved by trust in god just as those people were uh, that joined the israelites out of egypt uh, applications for our lives today we find out through Rahab that our past do not thwart God, that if we seek him, we will find him. And just when we realize there is an opportunity to fear God, that we have sinned against him by whatever idol we have chosen to worship in our lives, like Rahab, we can turn towards him to trust in him. What Rahab does, rather than running away from Jericho, when she sees the spies, and not just sees the spies, that she uh, has her family join her when Jericho is attacked and has the scarlet thread in the window. What she's doing, in essence, is she is running from her idols, and she's running to God, who is a good God. It's a lesson for us here. When we realize that we need to repent... There is an invitation to run towards God and not away from him. No one ever will tell you that the quality of their life was enhanced by running from God. Everyone that you see around you here today will let you know they have run to God, even in a time of great need, in a time where they have sinned greatly against God and want to repent, that it was the best thing they ever did. Through Rahab, we get a glimpse that God's mercy and his forgiveness are so much greater than our sin could ever be. So Rahab, she wanted to trust God. She wanted her physical safety. See how much more she ended up with? She's honoured in a divine lineage of Jesus Christ. And it's the same with us. We look to God and are frightened of being rebuked by him. But when we repent, we will always end up with so much more than we had hoped for. The other thing I'd like us to uh, get from what we see through Rahab is a concern for others. So Rahab knew that God was the one true God, but she wasn't just concerned with saving herself. When she knew that God was trustworthy and good, she desperately wanted her family to be saved as well. As each one of us looks at our past and how God has turned up in our lives, how his forgiveness is so much greater than sin, any sin we've done in the past, any sin we can do in the future. His forgiveness is eternal. We'd like to invite others into that, to have a concern for them as well. It's my encouragement from Rahab not just to turn to God for forgiveness, but to be praying and inviting others to run to God too. And the final thing that I'd like us to apply to our lives is when there's an opportunity to be afraid, it's also an opportunity to trust in God. So we may not understand the situation that is happening, but if we know that God is good, we know that he is a loving father, we can see throughout the history of the Bible that he is faithful and he works all things the good of those that love him. As we look down the timeline of the past of our lives and can see moments where God was faithful, we know that when we're faced with fear, we do not need to be paralyzed. We do not need to melt with fear. 
but it's an opportunity to trust him, even if things don't fully make sense. Well, we're going to move now to a time of communion. Uh, we celebrate communion the first of every month. Uh, communion is a time where we say that we are trusting in Jesus' death on the cross, his finished work on the cross, as what makes us righteous. We are trusting in God for it. So friends, I'm going to set up communion now. Before I do that, I'm just going to pray in relation to this message. Will you bow your heads as I pray? Father God, thank you that you do not give us uh, squeaky clean characters in the Bible. That there are people like Rahab who had had a, a, an upbringing where it seemed like there was no hope for her. And yet when she sought you, when she opened her heart to you, uh, not only did you save her physically, we know that you saved her spiritually too. Well, as we look through that uh, hall of faith, it's not just people uh, that were good. It's people that had really messy lives, like each one of us. But the defining moment of their life was when they trusted in you. Lord, thank you that the defining moment in our lives is not what we've done in the past. It's also not the good works that we're going to do in the future. The defining moment in our lives is when we decided to surrender to you as Lord and King. Be with us now, in Jesus' name. Amen.